0: Welcome to another episode of Bite Size Gaming. I'm your host, Mike, and this year's my co host, John. How's Welcome. Good? So, it's been a long week since our last episode. Um, I had a lot of fun last week with Steven in here. Hopefully, yeah, it was
1: really fun. You um, can get him on here again.
0: Absolutely. Um, I'm thinking next week we'll try to have another guest in here. I'm thinking we'll maybe talk to Terry. Maybe talk to some Minecraft. Minecraft. Yeah, talk to Minecraft. Yes. Uh, but yeah, you see we're here without a guest this week. It should be me and John like that first episode two weeks ago, which hopefully it goes as well as it did then. I hope
1: so. Yeah. Uh, so let's just kick things right off. What have you been playing lately, John? So I've been playing this game that's new to me, might not be new to some of our viewers, but it's called uh, Shantae Half-Genie Hero. Yep.
0: Um, there's been, I don't know if Alan's actually commented on our YouTube videos, but I know he's been talking about it since we've been talking a lot yeah. of Metroidvania.
1: <laughs> he's actually the one who lent me the game, so I've been playing that, I've been playing it for about an hour total gameplay so far. Okay. Five, 10, few minutes here and there. Um, very Metroidvania-ish in its mechanics. Uh, so far, it's really fun. Uh, the inter- the thing that I find really interesting about it is, is it, the the weapon that you use in the game isn't your typical weapon. It's her hair. It's her hair. Yeah. Um,
0: I too, I, I did try Shantae at Alan's suggestion, and it was fun. Um, I like how you put it, Metroidvania ish, because I don't think it's full like, you know, Hollow Knight. Metroidvania feel. Right. Um, it definitely has some sequenced areas and more of a hub world feel than an actual, like yeah. Exploratory world. Yeah. Um, but like I said, still a fun game and it is in the ish factor of Metroidvania. So
1: yeah, it's like excuse me. Uh, normal Metro me- Metroidvania ish games, Metroidvania games. Uh you'd think like Hollow Knight Castlevania, mm-hmm. Metroid. Uh, it's got some mechanics from those games, but it's, like you said, more of a hub world. Mm -hmm. So.
0: But, um, Alan really enjoys it. He talks it up left and right. I know they recently released, um, on the Switch, is it a remake or a remaster of the original Shantae game from the Game Boy? I want
1: to say it's a remake.
0: Remake? Yeah, because it has because it has full color and everything, right? Yeah. But it's based off of the old Shantae game that came out on the Game Boy. Yes. And I know Alan was really stoked when that was announced and then eventually came out and he pre-ordered
1: everything for that game. There was another game that he wants me to try called Bloodstained. Oh, I think I know what that is. He, yes, it I on did. on Kickstarter kick, a yep, while yep, back ago. Yep, yep. Um, that one is definitely going to be up
0: your alley because it's um, modeled after... The Metroidvania, Castlevania. Yes. I want to say it's modeled the same guy.
1: Okay, same guy? Same guy. Uh, so, the way it went is it was the guy who created Castlevania, when he left the company, couldn't take the Castlevania IP. Okay. So... Similar
0: to Konami
1: and Met- or Metal Gear Solid? Right. Yeah. So, he made an uh, all-new game. Bloodstained. And Bloodstained was the game. So it was like a 20, 2015, I want to say, Kickstarter game. Okay, I can see it because I think it
0: released 2017,
1: 2018. Yeah. There. And the people who backed it on Kickstarter actually got a special box sleeve for the game. Oh, wow. Nice. So that's the one Alan got, me. he's letting me borrow it. Okay.
0: Um, yeah, I did try it out a little bit, it gave me definitely feels of Symphony of the Night, like, yeah, that Castlevania, um, that style, I guess, of Castlevania game, um, I think really showed through in Bloodstain, at least a little bit that I did play, I did, I haven't played a ton of it, I'll admit, Yeah. but it reminded me of Symphony of the Night. Um, so just those two, this last couple of weeks for you. Yeah. Yeah, trying those out? Um. Other than that, I stick. Go back to the usual. Oh, yeah. We, we all do. We're all creatures of habit. Um, I, myself, have not had much opportunity to play games. I've still been playing Octopath Traveler when I have time, but even that's been limited. And what
1: is that on? Is that on PC? or? It's on PC. It's
0: on Xbox. I don't know if it's on PS4. I, I'd assume it is, but it was originally uh, Switch exclusive, or at least it was a to Switch exclusive because um, they announced it for Switch, and it released on Switch, and it was only on Switch for, I think, at least a year before it started hitting the other platforms. Okay. It's a beautiful game.
1: Outstanding. You game. will definitely have to uh, look that one up home. Oh, nice. You won't, you won't regret it, especially if you like
0: JRPGs. Like, oh, yeah. It's definitely got that JRPG feel without feeling dated. I know I hit on this last week, so I'll, I'll talk much further on it, but I think you'll enjoy it. Um, the reason I haven't had much chance to play games, uh, my wife and I and my family are in the process of moving, so there's been a lot of downsizing, a lot of packing and whatnot this last week. So that's where all
1: my time is dedicated to.
0: But I did bring something a little special for show yes, and tell today.
1: You were you were going through your stuff and you found you found a hidden gem. I did.
0: So I think everybody has
1: a junk drawer at their house, right? Just an absolute drawer with
0: everything that you you don't know what to do with it. You just throw it in that drawer. I was cleaning that drawer out, and most of it was trash, but luckily I caught this before it hit the trash can. Let's see if you can see this here on the camera. Oh, get up there. That is, if you can read it, a blockbuster membership card with my name on it and everything. Oh, man. Uh, I've not seen one of these in years. Well, this one was issued to me June 23rd of 2008, so you're looking at almost 13 years ago. This has been just sitting in my junk for so long. There might have been the last time Blockbuster was... a thing. Well, quite. uh, uh, Very quite possibly, because I want to say I was 20 to 21 when I finally jumped on the Netflix bandwagon. And when I did, Blockbuster was still around, but not for very
1: long after that. Right. I, I was... Yeah, eighteen, nineteen. when I did my first Netflix account, back when it was still like, oh, Netflix has to send you the DVDs. Yep, yep. So for those of you young audience who might not know this, the
0: original Netflix was not streaming at all. It was just an online catalog of movies and shows that you could put into a queue, a queue list. Yeah. And so essentially they would ship you the top... Movie or show in your queue, and then you'd watch it at however many times you wanted to. And then as soon as they got that back, they'd automatically ship the next one in your queue. That was the OG Netflix model back in the day. Yep. Um, it wasn't until lo- quite a few years after they launched that that they started dabbling
1: in streaming. Do you remember when they first started the streaming? When it was like, oh, you you can you can buy our DVD plan. Yep. And you can buy the streaming plan. They had combo plans. I do remember that. It's like, there was like a $7.99 for the, the DVD plan and $7.99 for the streaming plan. Or you could combo them both together for $12. Or 10 bucks, Something like that.
0: So, rewinding just a little bit in time prior to Netflix's dominance in the market, back to Blockbuster. Yes. So, you know, I have a lot of really good memories growing up of going to Blockbuster with my family picking out movies and for me I was always walking up and down their video game aisle uh you know mentally picking out the next game I wanted to try out um and when I got older you know 16, 17 and I had a job you know I was 18 when I got this card um they were starting to experiment with other things I don't know if you remember the passes that like not just numbers yeah. but the passes that they did yeah. Um, I never thought about it, but, you know, for a couple of years, I had their monthly, I think it was called Game Pass, which, you know, there <laughs> is a Game Pass now on the Microsoft Xbox platform that is outstanding. Yeah. But I, I do want to say that Blockbuster's version of, you know, their past membership was Game Pass. I
1: think it was. Because I
0: think what it was for me, it was either 15 or 20 $25 a month which was beyond their normal membership rates, but essentially I could check out anything in the store one at a time. Yep. I could check out a game, take it home, I didn't have to pay anything extra. That was what my monthly pass was for. And then as soon as I brought that back, I we get another one, whether it be a game, a movie. And so um, here locally, we've had both Blockbuster and Family Video, but Blockbuster, I think just by sheer proximity, was the one I went to because yeah. it was right down the road from my house. Yep. And when I had that Game Pass, I was there almost daily.
1: So, I don't remember, I don't know if you remember this or not, but way back when, there was a Hollywood video yep. down on 4th Street. Yes, yes, it was like right across from where the school is now. I, yes, I do. Yep, I do. Oh, Because I, I went to that school.
0: And... Yeah, it was Hollywood Video, and then they
1: changed their name to something like something 1000? Yeah, something like that, and then it closed down and now it's that candy store. Yeah, yeah, I do remember that. So, <laughs> that was really close to me. So, like, I would go there, and their video game selection was really small. Like, it wasn't as good as, like, the blockbuster oh, yeah. and the, theme of the video. So, like, I would go in there all the time and just be like, Mom, I want to get this game and i would rent a game from there and it was just like your classic game hmm. the small little ps2 titles whatever and then like once a month we would go to family video and we would rent a movie from there yep so i would always try to go through family video and be like all right I'm going to pick out a game that I can beat in, like, a night or two <laughs> if I stay up.
0: Oh, the memories. Um, so, you and I obviously have a lot of nostalgia for the old school you know, video rental, game right. rental stores. Um, so, for me, it is kind of sad being in a world where we don't have those anymore. Um, and... I can't even say that without actually acknowledging my part to play in that as well, because even though Blockbuster went out of business, I think in twenty twelve, maybe twenty eleven, it was somewhere around there. I'd stopped using them for a couple of years because of Netflix, and then even after Blockbuster went out of business, Family Video, like they just closed they're... within the last year. Did they? I yeah, thought they were still open. No, oh. they closed. Um, but they, you know, they held, up, held on for another they ten did. years. But even then, troopers. I still never set foot in Family Video because of Netflix and all the streaming giants are, they just make it so much easier yeah. to access your stuff.
1: I, uh, I guess the reason I always returned to Family Video was not just because of their video game rentals, but they also rented systems. Yep. Yep, they, so, they did. So, like when I didn't have a system or anything, I'd go in and I'd be like, alright, here's like 50 bucks. Let me rent a PS2 for three days, and let me get Twisted Metal for three days. (laughs) Twisted Metal, nice.
0: Yeah, I did. I I completely forgot that they used not just Family Team but Blockbuster used to actually rent out and check out their systems. Which kind of now that I'm a business owner, blows my mind. The logistics and the liability there. (laughs) Like
1: you're trusting this random person exactly currently two to three hundred dollar system and you're 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 trusting them enough to a bring it back and b bring it back not broken
0: so do you know the history of the relationship between
1: blockbuster and netflix no oh you don't i know there was like a blockbuster thing that netflix did like the last blockbuster i haven't been able to see it yet so
0: I want to say this was back in 2003 to 2006, somewhere in that period. You know, Netflix had started up their original service. That right. is mail-in video rentals. Right. And at that time, Blockbuster had the opportunity to buy Netflix, the entire company. Really? And essentially what happened is Blockbuster turned them down. And I think, I don't quote me on this... But I want to say that there was a quote from one of the execs saying that internet will never replace the video rental stores.
1: We see how that works. Exactly.
0: Worked. Um, which, like, I'm still sad that they're gone. Yes. But uh,
1: apparently there is one in Oregon still. I did hear about that. So yeah. we, we might have to take a trip. Just for, I, just, I, just for I the memories. Just for the memories. Um...
0: But you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Obviously, Netflix became this huge thing. Internet did take over the whole movie industry. Um, we're even in an age now where there's not a lot of people that will actually buy physical movies anymore. Alan is one of them.
1: But he, I buy physical movies sometimes. Yeah, but it depends on the movie. You
0: know, prior to streaming dominance, I probably had a. DVD, Blu-ray library of 200 plus movies
1: and series. Okay, so... My grandma to this day still in her house has four big like bookcases just stacked with rows of DVDs. And? And She's got... And? And games. And? And Blu-rays. VHS. Hold on. So she's got the bookcases full of like DVDs and Blu-rays and stuff. Yep, it's, it's like over three thousand. And then she has an entire bedroom in her house, like hoarder style, full of boxes of VHS tapes. <laughs> it's so crazy to like. Kids don't even know what these are. Yeah. Yeah, I was kind of, kind of like my dad, where he was one of those that
0: would always buy, you know, the movies that he wanted. So he had VHSs and DVDs and Blu-rays. And within the last decade, decade and a half, somewhere in there, um, he started buying old movies digitally on iTunes. Yep. But even now, though, he started, he's starting to get into the streaming networks so like you know Hulu, Netflix, um, Amazon Prime, things like that where I've noticed a severe downtick in the number of movies that he's actually buying because he shares his iTunes account with me so we can watch his movies. He doesn't buy a lot of movies anymore because he just really stream. streams and he finds a place to stream them. And I think that's the case for a lot of people nowadays where you're starting to see the sales of movies decline and just finding the avenue to stream it or rent it because most streaming services like Amazon and Hulu have the capability of renting or if you're a gamer, you know, with Xbox and the PlayStation, you can rent games through their services right. as well. Um, uh,
1: you made you just made me think of something, though. What's that? Um, going back to what we were talking about earlier, you remember how, or so, you know how we were saying Netflix, their first service was like, they would mail you game, uh, movies and stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you remember Gamefly? They're still a thing. I get, emails from, really? yeah, I get emails from them every now and then. I did not know they were still a thing. Yep.
0: Um, Kind of brings me into the real topic I want to talk about a little bit today. Um, So you can see the gradual decline in movie sales with the budding technology of streaming and internet and everything like that. And I, I think we're seeing something similar happening to video game sales. Not so much with streaming, because streaming, like, there's not been a company that's really figured it out, hit all the check marks and made it big. So that's not there yet. But with the introduction of digital sales, you're seeing a severe downtick in the physical sale of games. Um where do you think the future might go with video games in terms of, you know, brick and mortar stores that for the last 20 years have relied on selling you the physical games to stay afloat, like your GameStop, your video games, etc. Um with this new technology coming out, and, you know, it's only a matter of time before some company figures out how to do what Netflix did for movies, for video games, and being able to... You don't have to buy the game. You just subscribe to our service, and you can play any game in our library at a click of a button. So
1: PlayStation has a thing called PlayStation Now, which is a backlog of all of the games that they've released on past systems. It's basically their version of backwards compatibility. What it is, is you pay a $10 a month subscription to PlayStation Now, and you can stream all of their past games. Like, it doesn't download onto your system. It just streams. Okay. And I foresee PlayStation doing something like that for current and future games Mm -hmm. because it's such a, a it's a big deal. Like, oh, I don't have to download this digital 87 megabyte gigabyte game just in order to play it for two hours. Yeah. You don't have to do that. I see PlayStation and Xbox hardcore focusing on more digital stuff
2: mm-hmm.
1: than, like, physical stuff. Like, even now, you can go to the GameStop, the video games, etc., and you can purchase digital games in the store. Yes, but unfortunately, that's not the preferred method of buying digital games.
0: It's not. So, though. It's,
1: it's, it's also not how I buy my digital games. Exactly. <laughs> I regret to say I am a part of the problem as well. It is. It is solely become a matter of convenience. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we talked a little bit about it last week. Yep. There's. I get bored with what I'm doing and scroll through my queue on my PlayStation or whatever. And, oh, I like that game. I haven't tried it. I'll buy it. Hmm. I don't have to go to the store to buy it. I can just click of a button. I bought it.
0: Yep. Yeah, so that's the purchase side. Um, on the streaming side, like you're talking about PlayStation Now, there's a, you know, Quite a few notable companies working on that format yep um you've got google with stadia which stadia's already launched so they're just trying to work out the kinks um yeah microsoft has xcloud and beta right now on both android and ios we've talked about our possible prediction of it making its way to switch um there's just too much of a coincidence there yeah But, you know, you've got a lot of notable... I even even think Amazon's working on some sort of streaming, like, game streaming service as well. Yeah. Um, So with all of these companies working on it, like, that is the future of video games. It's just, it's not here yet. But do you think that once a company figures it out, like, cracks the secret formula to where it works for the vast majority of all consumers... Does that spell doom to your GameStops and video games, et cetera?
1: I think it spells doom in the aspect of new stuff coming to those stores. Because I don't know how many other people out there are like this, but I go to them currently and I see them as like secondhand stores. Like I go in there and I'm like, eyes all over the used games, the Mm -hmm. used physical games that they have, just for, like, a nostalgia-like, oh, this is an old PS2 Final Fantasy game. I want it. Or, oh, you've got old Game Boy games that aren't ridiculously expensive. I want them.
0: Yep. So, I'm not sure that's enough to save them. Like, it might be. It might be. Because I still go to both GameStop, AV, etc., I'm a long-time frequenter of GameStop. Oh, me too. Um, I've
1: got. I'm a pro member there. Yep. I remember when they were going through their ultra pro membership yep. trial stuff. I, was I actually got my with ultra them. pro membership card really? In, really? today as well. Nice. <laughs> um,
0: I'm not sure the nostalgia and the second-hand part is enough. So you can see it with them trying, you know, with collectibles, you know, with Funkos and the toys yeah. and the games. They're trying other avenues because the
1: video game side is just not cutting it to date. So they may have to do, like, a rebranding of sorts. Yeah. And just not, like, oh, we're still GameStop, but we're not video game-centered anymore. Or, if they still
0: try to be video game-focused,
1: I'm so happy you said that, because here's my pitch.
0: GameStop, if you are listening... (laughs) So hear them out. Hear me out. They actually... um, Five to eight years. Ago. I can, I'm really bad at the time. But there was a period of time where going into summer, they were experimenting or planning to experiment with this new program of video game rentals based yes. on their used game library or inventory. Yes. I actually paid the $60 ramping up to do it for that summer. And then turns out they figured out that their inventory system wouldn't do what they wanted it to do. So they had to refund everybody and cancel that whole experiment. But if you figure it out and make that happen, like you've got what, four GameStops Stops just in the in in our area? Yeah, in our area alone. And each GameStop probably has, you know, two to three hundred used games on hand at any given point. Absolutely. So even if it's not sixty dollars for a summer, but it's like 15 dollars a month, but I can go grab have a used game check it out, and then bring it back to check out another one. Like You guys, I think, have the perfect setup for that type of system Absolutely. with your used game inventory to kind of give it second life. So while it's there for people to buy and you guys can make your money buying it, you're also making money on the side of people checking out the game and playing the game um, because there's a lot of people still to this day that don't buy every new game that comes out. Or even buy all the games that they want to try out, just because it is a large investment of money to try and get all those games. Absolutely. But yeah. if I could go grab a game for the weekend, you know, play it for, you know, ten to twenty hours that weekend, bring it back and try a different game the next weekend, I'd be all over
1: that. Yep. That's uh that's like that's how I got into Borderlands when it first came out. Yep. Was we went to Family Video and I rented Borderlands for the weekend. And I didn't get to beat it the, over the weekend. But I was like well this game is great. I want to finish playing it. I'm gonna go buy it. Yep. So I rented rented the game from Family Video, played it for the weekend, took it back Sunday night at like midnight. <laughs> Monday I went to GameStop and bought Borderlands. Yep.
0: And that's the thing. Family Video just
1: closed. There is virtually no. There's no rental stuff going on around here at all. for video games at all.
0: So, the fact that you've already got the games for that rental system, all you need to do is figure out the computer side of things. Um, I think that would be enough to kind of turn things around for them, at least in the near future. Yeah. Again, I'm not sure if that's even enough to compete with, you know, your X Clouds or your Stadia's but it's a step in the right direction. Um, Plus,
1: it would bring a new life to the business. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because so, you got to think.
0: Right now, they're competing directly with digital sales. Yeah. And so they're, they're losing.
1: They're competing with PlayStation Market, Xbox Market. Steam. You know, Steam, the Switch Online Store. Yep. And unfortunately,
0: over the last 10 years, it's like they've been increasingly losing that battle year after year. Which is why you're seeing more of the other product in their store. Right. So, in my mind, the only thing that can compete with the digital sale is the ability to try out games for a monthly membership cost or whatever that might look like, without actually having to purchase it. Because there's nothing like that on the digital market outside of your your uh, systems like Game Pass or PlayStation Now.
1: Right. And also the only the only real competition that they would have as opposed to a digital market would be, okay, so if they're going to rent games out to people for like a weekend or whatever, the only thing you have that's like that on a digital market are game demos. Yep. That's it. Yep. And not every game comes with a demo. Correct. It's big, Your usually your AAA titles, your sports games, and like your well-known indie Games yeah that come with demos
0: now unfortunately um, I'm not sure how well they can compete with game pass because there's been like I should say I'm kind of contradicting myself in a way yes but right now game pass is such a good deal it's hard to really get around it there's been multiple times where I've looked through the Xbox section of video game center or gamestop and I end up just turning around and walking to a different section because, like, oh, that game looks interesting. Oh, it's on Game Pass. I've got Game Pass. Right. Why would I buy the game? So there would be no incentive for me to even check me out in a rental-type service, a game that I can then just go get on Game Pass. But we, we live in a world where a lot of people own multiple consoles. I own an Xbox and a Switch. Right. I so, own a PlayStation and a Switch. Yeah. So while there might not be anything on the Xbox side for me to check out because I have Game Pass... Maybe there is on the Switch. Yeah, there's on the Switch. Or for you, say, um, you've got, you know, like 100 Switch games that you can play, so there's nothing for you to really check out there, but maybe there's something for PlayStation.
1: Like right, that. and PlayStation doesn't have anything like Game Pass or anything like that. Correct. So I could go in there and look at the PlayStation wall and just be like, I don't own any of this. I can't stream or get any of this online without paying the big ticket prices. Yep. So, yeah, I think the market's there for that, um, especially for people
0: who don't really care uh, to try Game Pass. Or, actually, to be completely honest, if they had a service like that, I'd probably cancel Game Pass just because all the games that are on Game Pass I could then check out physically yeah. um, without having to take up a ton of storage on my Xbox at home. Right, that's another
1: issue. That's another issue that a lot of people have with like the digital games. It just takes so much space to download those games. Like for my PlayStation, I've got the PlayStation Pro. It comes with a one terabyte internal hard drive. Yep. I filled that up pretty quick with oh, yeah. games, and then ended up having to buy another one terabyte external hard drive. Yep. I actually have
0: my Xbox One uh, X sitting at home. One uh, terabyte internal, one terabyte external. And, yeah, it's still pretty full. But one pro to digital games is um, essentially when a game comes out, usually if you buy it digitally, you can preload the game on there. Yes. Where, unfortunately, with this generation of gaming that we're in, where it doesn't matter if you buy the game physically, you still have an install size that's pretty unit. So gone are the days of walking to the store, picking up a game, walking home, Putting it in your system and being ready to go, no, you just put it in your system and wait a couple of
1: hours before it's ready to go. So my my experience with that has been pretty interesting too, because when Destiny 2 first came out, I owned a PS3. Mm-hmm. No. Destiny Destiny 1 is where this happened. Okay. So when Destiny 1 was out, the the Taken King DLC. I owned a PS Three. I went out and I paid the sixty dollars for the Destiny Taking King DLC. Mm-hmm. It was a sixty dollars DLC. It was the, uh, came with a physical copy of the game, and it came with the past DLCs and that DLC. Yep. So I got it. I came. I went home. I put it in my system. All of my friends bought it digitally. So they got to pre-load it. Yep. I'm sitting here at like eleven o'clock at night on a Tuesday. I don't have to work the next day. My friends are on, and they're like, "We're on. We're playing. Where are you at?" Twenty-two percent. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm twenty percent through the install. <laughs> S- sorry. Try again in an hour. Hour later. I'm I'm eighty percent through the install. And then, after the install, we all got to play together. And then, they all upgraded to PS4s. Figures. So I had to go upgrade to a PS4, rebuy the game, rebuy the DLC, reinstall it. (laughs) You got a PS4, bud. What what are you doing? 20% through the install? (laughs)
0: Oh man. If anybody could ever figure out how to one, condense the size of these games so that they don't take up hundred
1: gigs on your storage and speed up the install.
0: Oh my word.
1: That's so ridiculous. you know you know what my issue has become now? What's that? Is every time there's an update for a game, uh it, it downloads the update really quick, but then it goes to that copying stage. Oh yep. And that takes forever. Mm-hmm.
0: Um so back on to GameStop for a bit. Um, I think that GameStop has gotten a lot of flack over the years. from like what I've seen on online forums, and you read people like who comment on pages, who complain about GameStop's practices. Um, you know, I get it that you know there's a different gamestop ran by different people in different yeah. states and whatnot. But a lot of what I see complaints about aren't necessarily negative interactions with the workers. It's how the business is ran as a whole. And I never, to this day, I still can't understand why people have such an issue with their business model. Because, like, people will complain that they take a game in that's sitting on their shelf for $50, but GameStop will only
1: offer only offer them $25 store credit for it. And they complain about that so i take a game into gamestop that's fifty dollars this game one isn't brand new and sealed anymore correct so i'm not you know, i'm not trading in a sealed product they keep they won't let you to, uh, trade in a sealed product exactly yeah
0: i'm not gonna
1: i'm not trading in a sealed product so therefore i'm not gonna get sealed product price for it Yep. No. two It's opened, so it's obviously been played once. That is bare minimum assumption it's been played once. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's been in a system. What if you don't keep your system clean? What if you have done something to your system for who knows what, and you get a scuff on the disc? Or a scratch on the disc? From it being in there just one time? Okay, they have to take that into consideration. Yep. They also have to take into consideration, this is open. How much can they sell it for now? Yep. So generally speaking,
0: their trade-in rates are usually between 40-50% of what they sell it for, right. generally speaking.
1: Which which makes total sense to me. Well, that's business. Yeah. Like, if they're not making money off of what they're selling
0: people, they're not going to be in business. They have to... Keep... There has to be a margin for profit. Exactly. So that part always made sense to me, but for some reason it doesn't register with certain people. And then on the flip side, when you trade a game into GameStop, all of the risk is on their end of it. Yep. Because the video game industry is a massive, depreciable industry until a certain point. Um, so PS4 games, when they come out, they're $60 brand new. Yep. As soon as you crack the seal, GameStop, if you go... Gage it off of GameStop standards, it usually drops to $55 automatically if the seal's broken. And then, depending on how long it is since the release date, it'll start dropping in value. Yep. And it will keep dropping value. It never goes back up until it becomes into that collector territory. Which is usually, like... Two consoles removed. Or two console generations removed.
1: Yeah. Or, Or I would say, kind of like car years, you know... 20 to 25
0: years makes it a classic. Yep. So, if somebody buys a brand new game, plays it for a week, doesn't like it, and trades it in, GameStop will give them 25 bucks because they're going to try and sell it fifty bucks. Right. But all that risk is on GameStop because if they give you 25 bucks for that game and it sits on their shelf for six months, that game might sell for 30 bucks six months down the road. So, they make $5 off that transaction. Yeah. And that's assuming it sells after six months. If it sells a year, a year and a half later, they're probably taking a loss on that game.
1: Yeah. So that's like if I were to take in GTA five. Yep. Just game off the top of my head. Right now. I'm only gonna get 10, 15 bucks. Yep. One, how long has the game been out?
0: <laughs> what? Nine years now? Nine
1: years. Yeah. Two, uh, how much are they gonna be able to sell for? Yes, it's a G it's Grand Theft Auto Five. A lot of people still play it. Nobody wants to pay that price for it anymore. Nope. Well,
0: that and how many copies do they have?
1: That's exactly. another factor. Exactly. That's another thing people have to realize. I trade this game in because it's not that fun. How many other people have traded that game in because it's not that fun? How many Madden
0: 2020s are on their shelves right now across the Quad Cities? Probably a
1: good couple dozen, at least. At least. And that's there's a good, probably a couple dozen at the one store that's right down the road. There's a reason if you walk into Video Game Cetera
0: and you see their 5 for, five dollar $5 bin and it's all sports games, because the second a new one comes out, everybody's trading their games in. Yep. And that's why they're one of the most appreciable games out there. You know, within a year, a game that you bought for sixty bucks last year might get you four or five bucks on the market, yeah,
1: which is crazy. Uh, that that's like that with sports games as a person who doesn't really play sports games, I play other games like RPGs and mm-hmm. stuff like that. I'm just like this game I bought for $60 in a year's time. It could still be selling for $40, $45. Whereas a sports game, oh, it just came out. I can buy it for
0: $60. 2 months
1: later, a new game just came out. Take the game, give me my five dollars off. Give me the new one. Yep. Uh,
0: speaking of valued, um, there is one company whose games very rarely will drop in significant value, and that's the Nintendo IPs. Yes. Like. Essentially, if you walk into a GameStop and try to pick up Breath of the Wild, which came out four years ago now, yep, it's still fifty five dollars. Yep. Part of that is because Nintendo's like very rarely chooses to drop the MSRP on those games. Yeah. But on some level, the quality and replayability that they put in those games also has something to do with this. Yes,
1: because the the replayability stands the test of time with those games. Oh yeah. yeah. People to this day are still buying Mario Kart because it is Mario Kart. I still know people that are trying to buy Smash Bros. on the 64. Oh, okay, yep. I know people that are still trying to get Ocarina of Time for the Switch. Yep.
0: Um, so the fact that people want those games and are willing to pay the 50 to $60 price point for those games is what keeps their value um, on top of the popularity of their franchises. Uh, speaking of older games... Um, their Pokemon games... Oh, yeah. ...are insanely valuable. Oh, yeah. Like...
1: Uh, when, like... Like, if you take a Pokemon yellow
0: cartridge into GameStop and ask for a trade in value, you're probably getting $35, $40 bucks for that game. Easy. Easy. And that, that means they're selling it for probably 80 90 Yeah.
1: If you take a Pokemon Ruby in there, you'll probably get 20 to 30 bucks because yep. they're going to sell it for 60 to 80 bucks. you Yep. And those are old games.
0: Granted, they are kind of in the collector territory, which we talked a little bit earlier. Yeah. But um, you take a newer Pokemon, like uh, Pokemon Sword and Shield, like that's still a highly popular game. It came out two years ago.
1: Yeah, and they're still selling for forty and fifty dollars. Yep. So
0: yeah, Nintendo IPs tend to stand the test of time. Like, and Nintendo does have a small part to play in it with refusing to drop the pricing on the right. games, but They also have games that the massive markets generally want to buy in the first place. Yeah. Uh Uh,
1: Another studio's games that I don't really see dropping too much in price is Square Enix.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely.
1: Like, their games tend to, whether you're getting them used or whatever tend to at least stay around the 20 to $30 range.
0: Oh yeah. Because uh, they're a popular uh, company especially when it comes to adventure slash RPGs and right. games. They're um, the ones that did your Kingdom Hearts and yep. Final Fantasy yep. and stuff like that. Uh, trying to think oh yeah Destiny unfortunately is one of those that
1: dropped in value fast. Destiny so- dropped really fast. Destiny dropped uncharacteristically fast especially for a Benji game. Yeah. So, Destiny first came out, it was your standard $60. It stayed $60 until, like, the second DLC came out. Mm -hmm. When the second DLC came out, it was, like, $20. And then when the third DLC came out, it it was, like, $10. When I went to pick up my physical copy of the Taken King DLC there was a used copy of Destiny 1 on on the used shelf in GameStop for $1. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, because Destiny, even in its very core, kind of has a Games as a Service vibe to it, I think it, largely because it has MMO characteristics to the game. Yes. So because it has that Games as a Service vibe, probably... Hurt its price point, not its popularity, because sometimes people will equate the price the price dropping to its lack of popularity. That wasn't the case with Destiny; It was still no. a pretty popular game, and, and it still it. is oh, a yeah. popular game. I think it was just so many copies flooding the market and yeah, copies and whatnot that it just kind of lost its shelf of value.
1: Right, so it didn't necessarily run its course, and drop the value. It was, we've got 12 copies of Destiny sealed, 17 copies of Destiny from Trade In. Yep. What do we do with these? Yeah. Put them in the hand baskets and give them to the kids at Easter. I forgot, because they also
0: launched Destiny on two different platforms. Yep. Because they had it on PS3, PS4, and Xbox XR 360, Xbox One. So that just infinitely increased the number of Destiny copies yeah. in the market. Yeah. So It's weird to think that, that like, Destiny feels like it was a relative, like, I can't talk. Um, relatively not that long ago for me.
1: 2016. What was it 2016? 2016. And why in the world did it straddle? 2015, 16?
0: I want to say it was 2014. Because, it might have been
1: 2014.
0: Because I can't think of any other reason why it would straddle two different console generations. You know, like, usually the games that release at the end or at the beginning will have that little straddle effect. You know, we saw Breath of the Wild and a couple other games that kind of crossed the gap between the two different consoles. But you usually don't see that with games that release a year or two into the console's life cycle. He's looking it up now.
1: September 9th, 2014. 2014. Wow. It doesn't either. feel like it was that long it ago. It doesn't. It's crazy to me. And it, it's even crazier because I've consistently played yeah. since the beta day. This entire
0: console generation just kind of flew by me.
1: It felt the the, the, the PS3, PS4, Xbox, 1X. You know yeah. what about Xbox is. Yeah, I do. Uh, those two generations gener- generations, just kind of, like, melded together. Yeah. Because I felt like we got the PS4 in the middle of the PS3 life. Like, normally it's, oh, we'll have the, the PS3, PS3, PS3. PS3's dying, we come out with the 4.
0: To a a certain extent, um, I will say I think PS3 was, like, lived a full life cycle. I think it was on the market for five or six years before the PS4 came out. Yes. Yeah.
1: But, like, it felt like the PS3 was still a viable option kicking and screaming, (laughs) and we got the PS4.
2: And
0: I think part of that probably has to do with, like, the graphical gap. Between PS3 and PS4 wasn't, wasn't that, that big. It wasn't that big. Um, it was definitely a lot larger between the PS2 and PS3. Absolutely. So yeah, because of that graphical gap, I could definitely see you know, PS4 didn't feel like that much of an upgrade. Yeah, it had better hardware, had bigger capacity and whatnot. So
1: I think the reason that a lot of everything just blended in together is like what you're saying, there was no visual jump real big jump from the three to the four there is a big spec wise jump like bigger hardware uh the ram in the system or whatever the graph the not the graphics but like just the hardware was bigger and better yeah graphic wise not so much so then we're like oh there isn't a big graphical difference there isn't a real big difference when all the big difference is in the machine, yeah, not what you're seeing.
0: Sure. Uh, part of what you said kind of brought me something that I had thought about a few days ago, wanting to talk about. I forgot about it, but brought it back to my head. So, I've got this theory. I'm going to school all you guys on this theory, because I'm going to keep hitting this theory until it's proven to be scientific law. But, uh, I call it the Best Buy Theory. So, I think we, as humans, or at least guys, because I don't know why it's just built in our brains that way, but we always want, like, the biggest, bestest thing. Yes. Generally speaking. We we want the best-looking TV. We want the coolest, newest phone. Like We just want the biggest, best thing. Um, so my, my best buy theory is you can sit in your living room, you know, look at your wall where your TV's going to go, do your measurements or whatnot, and have it in your brain Okay. X inches of TV, screen, real estate is enough. It will fit perfectly where it's at. It might be 50 inches, might be 60 inches, whatever it is. You do your measurements, you do your research, you pick out your TV. But the second you walk into Best Buy, the TV you picked out feels inferior because of the bigger TV right next to it. You did your research, you did your measurements, 60 inches will fit perfectly on the wall right there. What the 80 is. really good. And that's the thing, though. Is when you get into the Best Buy and you have all those things compared to, that's how they get you. Like that 80 inches looks great. You buy the 80, 80 inches, you bring it home. Oh crap. It doesn't fit. It's way too big for the room that I'm in. It didn't look that big in the store. Alright, we gotta move things and we gotta pick this exactly. in. Exactly. Because I'm not going back. So generally speaking, like things take on a different perspective when you compare it to other things. The Best Buy theory. Um, worked with TVs, because I've had it happen multiple times, I've had it happen to friends multiple times. But I found out recently that the same thing can happen with video games. Um, especially when we're talking about graphical differences and whatnot. Yeah. So, all the times that I've played Octopath Traveler have been on the Switch. Sometimes it was docked, sometimes it was handheld, but it's always been on the Switch. And as I said before, it was a launch on the Switch, it was always on the Switch. I never realized that they actually—I don't know if they actually physically upped the graphics of the game itself, or if it's just that better hardware makes it look better. But I recently downloaded it off Game Pass on my Xbox. I was playing it on my Xbox. <clears throat> I started the game, started playing. And I'm like, something's different. <laughs> I started moving around. Like, the movement was fluid. The combat was fluid. Like, it just looked beautiful up on my 4K TV, which, again, Switch does not output 4K. Right. Yet. Yet. Uh, So, my entire experience of Octopath had been on a Switch type of hardware, Switch power. Um, And I had no issues with it whatsoever. Like, I could not look at that game and find anything wrong with it. But now that I have something to it to that's slightly better, being the 4K resolution on an Xbox-powered system, that comparison kind of skews my relationship with the Switch version of that game. It's still great, like, to be able to pull on the go, because, it, let's face it, that's the whole marketing pitch for the Switch, is right. gaming on the go. Um, they never tried to tout it as the next biggest graphical powerhouse on the system. That's not who Nintendo is. They touted
1: it as the next take-it-on-the-go. Console gaming on the go, not, yeah. Console gaming on the go, yeah. But like I said, like
0: had I never experienced it on the Xbox, I would have not never known that there was any differences between the two, and wouldn't have had any issues continuing on the Switch. But now I'm going to notice those differences the next time I try playing on the Switch. So like, oh, it's not quite as smooth as it was on the Xbox. Right. That's going to be in the back of my head. That's my theory. It's the next big thing. <laughs> Anyway, sorry, that was a whole thing that I just threw (laughs) on John. He was not expecting that. We did not talk about that. I was not ready for that. He was not ready for that. Um, So we're getting close to the end. Um, You wanted to talk a little bit about E3, seeing as that's coming up in a couple months here. Um, You want to talk specifically on predictions? So
1: I wanted to see... We've hit on this a little bit before. Yeah, but, like, any, like, big game predictions.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> gotta say hydrated. I need a hydrate bot to remind me. Um, So I guess I can kick this one off, um, mainly because it's a game I'm excited about, and I think the timeline's been upped on it for various reasons. So I'm a big fan of Bethesda. Like, love them or hit them. I think Witcher 3 is a superior game to Skyrim, but it doesn't take away how much time I pumped into Skyrim when that thing was, like, the biggest, bestest open-world game on the market. Because at a period of time, it was. This, you know, Skyrim was pre-Breath of the Wild, right. pre-Horizon. So... Right. For the the, it time, was a
1: it was the biggest open-world game for a long time. Yeah, I wasn't was necessarily, like,
0: biggest space-wise, but uh, with the amount that you could do in that world, right. you could put... Okay, here's my Skyrim story. I put probably 100 to 150 hours in that game without realizing that shouts were a thing in the game. I did, like, the first, you know, one or two story quests, and then I got sidetracked with side quests, because the side quests are pretty adept in that game. Oh, yeah. And I never stopped doing side quests. And then one day... A friend of mine who also plays here, I'm like, hey, bring your system over, let's just have a Skyrim party. So we're playing Skyrim, and he had the big screen, I had my little screen, and we're playing, and all of a sudden, hey, yeah! like, what was that? I didn't know, I did not know Shouts or because I never did enough of the story, which again, they're introduced pretty early on in the story, that oh, shows yeah. how it's early I
1: d- deterred from that path. Probably the first, first 30 minutes. Yeah. yeah. Bare minimum. <laughs> it's
0: a... Pretty embarrassing on my part, but it's
1: also a testament to how
0: lost you can get. Because in Skyrim
1: you, you do the you do the one where you do the first mission where you see the dragon and everything. Then you gotta do the thing where you go through the cave to get out in the open. Yep. And from there, when you get out into the open, you can go get your first shout. Yep.
0: Like I said, I never went to that next story quest. I'm like, I'm going to go to this town. Oh, the companions, I do that the whole story. Line. Okay, so let's go explore over here. Oh, the
1: Thieves' Guild, let's do that. So <laughs> you went, you went, you did the opening sequence. Yep. You did the cave. And then from the cave, you started doing side stuff. Yep.
0: So yeah, that's just a testament to how lost you can get in Skyrim without actually playing the intended way of playing the game. No, I think you did it right. I did it right? Yeah, <laughs> okay. Anyway, so, I do like Bethesda as a studio in general. I like the games that they put out. Um, there's a game they announced two or three years ago, I think it was three years ago, uh, called Starlink. It yes. was supposed to be their big sci-fi game. Yes. Um, for those of you who've watched like gaming news re- in the last six months, know that Microsoft bought Bethesda. Yep. That means they own Bethesda. And there's something else that also excites me with that, is all first-party Microsoft games are gonna hit Game Pass day one. Which means all Bethesda games are now gonna hit Game Pass day one. Which means I can play them day one without having to shout mm-hmm. the money. Anyway, um, I think when Mike or because Microsoft bought Bethesda, and the reason they bought it is because you know their first party lineup of games for the Xbox One generation was severely lacking, so yeah. they've been spending a lot of money to up their first party gaming or market significantly. So they bought Bethesda to, you know, up their game in the first-party development, and as such, I think that they're pushing the development for Starlink, which is supposed to be the next big game from there. So you think we're going to get Starlink at E3? I'm not sure it's releasing at E3, but I think we're going to get a release date at E3. That's my prediction. Yeah. I think we'll see a trailer, maybe some gameplay, and a release date for Starlink.
1: Okay.
0: That's my bold prediction there. Okay. What do you think is going to
1: happen at E3? Uh, one of the biggest things I'm hoping about is a release date for Horizon Zero Dawn 2. Okay, I've been hearing whispers of that game. Yep. Uh, well, it's Horizon Zero Dawn Wild West, I think it's called. Okay. Which, sounds amazing. Yep. Uh, i played through the whole first one, I did the DLC for the first one. It's a really well-made game. Um... I am hoping for at least another trailer, because it was it was trailered last, supposed to be uh, it was in twenty nineteen E3 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then last year's E3 was cancelled. And then we didn't get any news from them about that game at all last year.
0: I am curious on one thing. Mm-hmm. Is the studio that made Horizon Zero Dawn going to be a because it is a Sony exclusive, and we know Sony's not going to be at E3. This is true. Um, like, th- like, very well could be that the studio's still there. I don't know, but
1: I think the studio was still there. Okay. I know Sony isn't, but seeing as how I think the studio was still there, we might get something, okay. even if it's not just a oh check into Sony for the release date. Yep. Something. I'm. I'm on the. I'm on the same page as Horizon Zero Dawn Two as I am about Silk Song. Just give me some sort of news. Just something.
0: Anything. Um. I've been that way for the last four years on Elder Scrolls Six, and I actually don't think we're going to see anything Elder Scrolls Six at E3.
1: I would be hard pressed to see something at E3 about six. Um. Well, like
0: all of Bethesda's development, like he said when they. Because they announced Starlink and Elder Scrolls 6 at the same E3. Right. But then afterward, he said the Starlink's going to come out before Elder Scrolls 6, which means all of their production teams are working on Starlink and Starlink only, with Elder Scrolls 6 kind of on the back burner or as an afterthought. Yeah. So we're definitely going to see more Starlink before we see Elder Scrolls 6, so I don't think we're going to see much in the way of that at this E3. But I am hopeful on Starlink. Yeah. Um, so... Starlink from Bethesda, which is now Microsoft exclusive. Um, I'm pretty sure we're going to see a Square Enix panel at there. Yeah,
1: Square Enix is one of the official partner companies with E3 this year. Any bold predictions from them? I want them... Bold prediction, uh, a continuation from Kingdom Hearts. Okay. Uh, I don't know if any of you guys played the last Kingdom Hearts game. But well, it left on quite a big cliffhanger. Okay.
0: My bull prediction, we get a trailer for Final Fantasy VII Remake Part Two. Yes. Um, for those of you who are iffy on, like, the storyline or the, the lore, I'm not going to get into any spoilers, but the remake that we got was not the whole game, for those of you who might not have known that. Um.
1: I didn't think it was the first full disc of the original. It
0: game. was not. Uh, essentially, the first part that we got was what could be chalked up to the tutorial area of the original game. Yeah. Um, so, essentially, the entirety of the remake part one, which is what? I think a 20 to 30 hour campaign. If you go straight through the story of those requests, yeah. took probably four to six hours to do in the base game. Like, so, like. They definitely stretch it out in a good way. I think they stretch it out in a good way. Oh, definitely. By giving a lot of character backstory, a lot of world building in that city that you're in. Um, but definitely a lot more detail, a lot more in-depth than what they originally did for the original game. Um, now, people might think, because you know the original Final Fantasy VII was probably a 60-ish, 60, 80-hour game somewhere in there. Yeah. So they think, oh, we're, this is going to take 10 parts to get through. I don't think so, because... You know, so the, the city is a lot more condensed, yeah, and there's a lot more to do there. But once you leave the city and you got this massive of a world, things are a bit more spread out. I don't think it's going to take them that same ratio of time to tell the rest of the story.
1: No, they're they're laying all the groundwork now for the yes. story, so that in like the next title or one after that, because I think there'll probably be at least three. There was three original discs, yeah. So they're laying a lot of the groundwork now for and the next discs, Uh, oh, all we gotta do is just go here, do this real quick. Not to say that they're also gonna make it really quick. Uh, I feel like what they're doing is pretty pretty much making it even. They're, The, the stuff they're doing now is familiarizing you with stuff. And they're like, oh, this is the backstory and everything so that when you get to the later parts, they don't have to add all of that extra stuff. Yep, yep exactly. They can kind of just cut and copy from the original games and make it the same way, same way it was before, but better graphically and more mechanically sound. Yep.
0: Um, so something I'm really excited for from them, as well, is Final Fantasy sixteen. Yeah. So this is how I think that their panel is going to break down. I think Final Fantasy sixteen is going to be earlier on in their showing, maybe with some gameplay and some talks of a potential release date. Uh, Square Enix has other working titles, so they might have you know some DLC plan for Avengers, so a couple other minor games. They're definitely going to have uh, probably a five to ten minute spot talking about the newest DLC for Final Fantasy 14 because they're always pumping more into that. I mean, it's a money maker, it's a good game, I liked it, but that's going to be there. And they're going to close their show with the trailer for Varvis and Part 2 They're not going to give a release date. There's not going to be gameplay. It's just going to be a trailer. Say, hey, kinda we're like still working did, on this.
1: Kind of like they did with the original remake trailer. It's yep. just like, boom.
0: There's no release date. <laughs>
1: yeah, but sure. it's coming. Yeah.
0: So that's my prediction for Square Enix. I'm excited to watch E3. Like, it, I know it's, what? No, oh, it's actually a month month and a half away now? it's yep. Yeah, dang. It's month's flying by.
1: So, something I talked to you about... I have no memory of this place. but A live reaction to E3? Yes, yes.
0: Um, no
1: hard details
0: yet, but John and I Plan on doing something in the way of live reaction to E3, whether it be we become an official restreamer on YouTube to stream it, and then, you know, once a panel is done, we do a live reaction. It would take a little bit of planning on our parts with work and whatnot, so we might not be able to do for the whole thing, but we'll try to get for some of the key panels depending on when those go live and when we're able to actually get in to do live reactions to them. But yeah, that's something that we're hoping planning on trying to do. I'm hoping. Yes. Well, but I think that's a pretty good spot to start wrapping things up. Okay. Um, I, I had a lot of fun this episode, some good conversations, some good running missing yes. on Blockbuster and GameStops. Um, so, for those of you watching at home or listening on a podcast, um, I'm going to keep hitting on it. We've got a few different ways you can reach us. As always, if you're already watching on YouTube, you can feel free to comment below that's something that john always reminds you guys of i finally remembered this week to say it comment below we'll try to make sure that we read our comments um i've been keeping up to date just with this last week of moving i kind of haven't been checking my phone so if you commented on episode two recently i do apologize i haven't seen it yet um but if you want to get in touch with us more directly uh we do have a discord it's nerdhqqc um I know Discord is kind of a weird way of trying to look things up, so if you f- find our Facebook page, or I'll put a link on our YouTube videos as well to go to our Discord, um, we do have a channel set aside for Bite sized Gaming. You're more than welcome to reach out to John and I there, and we are recording this in front of a live Discord audience. Yep. There's still no people there, but it is a live Discord audience. Um, so we record these every Tuesday night. You, We try to start right around 10.15. Um so prior to recording, we go live in our Discord channel. There's no video there. It's just all audio. So it's almost like it's just a live podcast. Um, but we do that so anybody who likes our show and wants to listen live can. And Also,
1: at the end of each show, uh, we can set aside some time for uh, guest comments, questions. Yep. No. Um, like I said, there's no way there.
0: Oh, Terry's there now. She must have just hopped in. She was not there a second ago. Hi, Terry. Um, so, I don't know if she wants to speak or not. We're gonna do this, but if Terry has a question, she can then request um, in Discord itself to ask her question. Um, I'll watch for that. If you raise your hand, we'll get your question in here. But in the meantime, we'll carry on. Um, but yeah, those are the two best ways to reach out to us. Maybe if we become popular enough, we'll create a dedicated Bite Size Gaming Facebook page. Yeah. I don't know. Like that's up to you guys. How much do you like us? Are you willing to spread the word, get people listening to us or watching us? Um, like, like, comment, subscribe, and share. Oh yeah, and share. And then say video is not your preferred format. We are on I think we're getting close to all the major podcast platforms. We're on, on Spotify, we're on Google Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Um, there's a few other ones. I have I, we
1: hit iTunes yet. Not yet iTunes takes at
0: least two to three weeks before they finally um, clear all of the benchmarks they are very picky yeah. in that regard. Um, the last time I uploaded using the software that I use, it did hit eventually, but it, like I said, it took a few weeks before it finally hit iTunes. Yeah. But we'll eventually be on all major podcasting platforms. Um, if not in the near future, just eventually. Um, but yeah... Our video and podcast should be going live Wednesdays, so you can yep. always check out for new episodes then. Um, and again, if you want to check us out live, hop in our Discord and chat. Absolutely. With us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, next week we'll try to get Terry in here. And um, I, I think we've already got a couple of people asking about being a guest after our first couple episodes. Uh, there's that one guy who comments on our YouTube. Yeah. Uh, first YouTube episode. Yep. So, hopefully we'll be getting more guests in here for you guys as well. Next week, Terry, the Minecraft expert, coming on the show. Uh, I'm just going to put it out there and say she's going to be here next week. So, <laughs> I haven't even asked her yet. I'm we'll, just, we'll, I'm we'll that confident. I can, we'll see if I can pull some strings. Yeah. All right. <laughs> but thank you for joining us tonight. It was a very fun episode. And yeah. And we'll, we'll definitely be talking more E3 as we get closer to that. And talking, I, mean, I think we know pretty good, and not talking Polonize since that first episode, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. well it's been fun you guys have a good night and see you next week have a good night